Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise and it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Partial is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Give a gift of any amount. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, please enjoy the podcast. Friends, this is Janet Parshall. Thanks so much for choosing to spend the next hour with us. Today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. But thanks so much for being with us and enjoy the broadcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a president. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a nation. 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis in miracles no yes because the Lord can make do miracles and he still does I mean there are things that happen that you know we may not have explanations for I don't know if you would call that a miracle I don't know depends on the situation I don't know <laughs> <laughs> miracle is a funny word um, I think it has a lot of meanings yes I do believe in miracles that's what keeps life interesting you gotta believe in something. Uh, no, I don't, because I've never seen anything that can't be explained uh, through what we know. If there were miracles, it'd be pretty miraculous. Yes, yes, it happens all the time. I believe miraculous things happen. I don't know if you mean miracles in the way of God creating something. I do believe in miracles because I think that Definitely with a karmic balance, everything can happen for a reason and good things will happen to you when they want to and miracles happen all the time. I believe in luck and karma, if that's a form of miracles. So then yes, because I see that if you do good, 
good things will happen. Yeah, I believe in them. Um, some people think miracles are different things than they are. Like some people are like, if they get like, when the lottery's like, oh, it's a miracle. Do you think that's a miracle? I don't think so. I think that's just luck. I'm not sure. I guess I kind of do. I mean, I guess nature as a whole is kind of a miracle, like that everything happened the way it did. Yeah, I do believe in miracles because today I woke up and sort of made a decision to have a better day and as I was walking to work to get my bad paycheck for my bad job, I found $5 in the gutter <laughs> and immediately after, probably 10 minutes later, I got a phone call for a better job, a much better job, um, starting tomorrow. So. You know, given the sun is shining and all, I do believe that it comes with a choice, but they do exist. I know that prayer works. I had a sister that had cancer and we prayed and she beat it. I got in a really bad car wreck on a freeway and I had three cars hit me and I was the only one that got injured. I mean, I almost would call any birth a miracle. If you believe a miracle can happen, it will. I think I'm still waiting for one to occur in my life, but I do believe it's possible. Well, guess what we're talking about? So let me ask you the same question. Do you believe in miracles? Yeah, I know that the Bible talks about it, but I mean, do you think that today God is still in the business of performing miracles? I have your attention, don't I? Good, it'll make your ride home a little easier because you're in bumper-to-bumper traffic. 1-877-548-3675. That's our number here on In the Market with Janet Parshall. So let me throw a little stat or two at you. I'm in Washington. We do this on a regular basis. Do you know that a majority of Americans, Barna did this research, by the way, a majority of Americans believe that God can heal people supernaturally. And this is a big debate in the culture, both in and outside the church. Obviously, it gets debated in the church, it gets debated in medicine, science as well. But the majority of American adults, 66, 66% believe people can be physically healed supernaturally by God. And this majority is made up equally between those who are either strongly or somewhat agree, 33, 33, that's where you get your 66. And they agree that it's possible to be physically healed supernaturally by God. The remaining one third, 34%, not so much. They're skeptical. And that's made up of either strongly don't agree or somewhat disagree. And that's how you come up with that number. So it's interesting when you start looking at people groups, and this is what groups like Barna do. They break down what we call the demographics. And so they say that there's a consensus across the generational groups of those who strongly agree about supernatural hearing, healing. But this is what I found to be problematic. But when it comes to those who strongly disagree, millennials are more likely to be skeptical. Now, you heard some of that in our man on the street. About a quarter of them, 25%, strongly disagree. That's twice the amount of the group called the elders. And the other two groups fit into kind of like a sliding scale based on their age. Gen Xers, 21%. Boomers, 14%. And by the way, education apparently has an impact on whether or not you're going to believe in supernatural healing. A little more than one quarter, 27%, of those with a college degree believe people can be supernaturally healed by God, compared with a little more than and one-third, 37%, among those who have a high school education or less, the more education one receives, the less likely they are to believe in supernatural hearing. Oh, I could so editorialize on that point, but I'm going to hit the pause button because this is In the Market with Jana Parshall, and we get to spend the hour with Dr. Ron Rhodes, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry. And since this data from Barna is literally hot off the presses, I didn't walk, I ran to my friend Ron, and I thought, what a great topic. If we believe the whole truth of the whole Word of God, and we believe it applies to the whole world around us, then do we stop and do we look at this business of miracles and go, nah, that was then, this is now... 
God's somehow on a retreat and he's no longer in the miracle performing business. I want to get your take on this. one 548 3675 And I can't promise you I won't throw a few more stats into our discussion, but I want to welcome you now. one 548 3675 Oh, Brother Ron, the warmest of welcomes. I am so glad you are with us. And I'm quite sure, given all the initials that you have after your name, none of this comes as a surprise. But I want you to walk me back through your seminarian days. And that is when you're doing the exegesis of God's Word, when you're unpacking it line upon line and precept upon precept, this question ever come up where you talked among yourselves, maybe in the cafeteria over a cup of coffee, as to whether or not God still performs miracles today or whether or not that was an act of God delegated and relegated to a certain chapter of human history? Well, these discussions did come up, and I always found it quite fascinating, uh, especially since I think, you know, most people, especially when they get ill, they do suddenly believe in the possibility of miracles. At least in my experience, I've found that a lot more people pray when there's a serious illness than when there's not a serious illness. Hmm. Um, one of the things that was brought, brought up in seminary was the fact that there were four primary periods in which miracles took place back in Bible times. That's Moses and Joshua's time, Elijah and Elisha's time, Daniel's time, and the time of Christ and the Apostles. So the question is, do they still happen today? Mm. And what a place to take a break. That's why Dr. Ron Rhodes is the consummate professional when it comes to talking to him on the radio. So that is the question on the table today. It's a question. Do you believe miracles happen today? And if you have questions about the nature of God and the nature of miracles, you can have a better teacher than Dr. Ron Rhodes. We'll take a break and be right back. God, why am I here? How should I live? Could you find the answer to those crucial questions from God's Word? That's why I've chosen I Believe as this month's truth tool. Learn the essentials of our faith in a clear and succinct way. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to In the Market with JanetPartial.org. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Fill the water pots with water. And fill them up to the brim. Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee 
and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Mm. Wow. Well, there it is, the very first miracle story that Jesus performed there in the New Testament, turning water into wine. Dr. Ron Rhodes is with us, and we're discussing some research just recently released by the Barna Group that really talks about whether most Americans believe in supernatural healing. So I get to have time with a man who has, as I noted earlier, a whole bunch of initials after his name. So, Ron, walk me through this. Why do you think it is that the very first miracle was at a wedding, and we can't take anything you've taught us so well over the years. We can't put something in Scripture that's not there, but as we pull out from Scripture what God has revealed to us, have you just sat and thought why it was that this was a miracle dealing with a wedding feast and water being turned into wine? And is the dialogue with his mom a bigger point in this story than his turning the water into wine? Well, first of all, Jesus did miracles in the context of life. And I want you to see something real clear, Janet, and that is that Jesus never did miracles for his own benefit. He always did miracles to help others, and I want you to also notice that the term signs is used. That's an important thing, because the miracles as signs always signify something. In other words, they validate the messenger and his message. And so, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that a number of things would take place when the Messiah came on the scene, and these were called signs. Well, lo and behold, Jesus comes on the scene, and he starts doing these various signs, these miracles with a message, these miracles that validate the messenger as well as what he speaks. And so, through the course of it all, Jesus demonstrates not only that he has miraculous power over life and death, But he has miraculous power over the world of nature. And, of course, wine would be an example of that. And uh, it's real important that we understand that even in the case of the apostles, their miracles also serve to validate the messenger and the message. Mm. And I think, Janet, that this relates to what I told you right before the break, and that is that back in uh, Bible times, we see four basic clusters of sign miracles— Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, the time of Daniel, and the time of Christ and the Apostles. And when we talk about miracles today, you know, you asked about what I learned at Dallas Seminary. Well, (laughs) we not only learned about those clusters of miracles, but we also distinguished between sign miracles and what you might call providential miracles. Some people use different terms, grade A miracles versus grade B miracles. Um, Could I give you an example of a grade B miracle? Yes, please. A a lady in our church named Sally discovered that she was having a Down syndrome baby, and so she went to see our pastor to talk about it because she was concerned. And our pastor told her, God is going to bless you in ways that you cannot imagine through this Down syndrome baby, and he's going to help you through all of this. And so they prayed, and then she went home. And right after that, our pastor wrote her a postcard, And on the postcard, he reiterated the fact that God was going to bless her, that God was going to help her through her experience in ways that she couldn't imagine. And then he mailed the postcard. The problem is the postcard got misdelivered to a house about 10 miles away, and the lady who lived at the particular house where the postcard came decided to get in her car and hand-deliver it. So she got in the car, drove over to Sally's house, and rang the doorbell, And when Sally opened the door, the lady on the doorstep said, 
you know, your pastor sent you a postcard about your Down syndrome baby. Mm. I'm a Christian, and I have a Down syndrome baby, too, and I would like to help you if you would let me. Now, that's what we call a providential miracle. Could this have happened by sheer coincidence? Well, some people would say so. People who subscribe to the philosophy of naturalism would say that nature explains everything, and there's no supernatural. But to me, Janet, I see God's fingerprints all over this, and I think that we're seeing a lot of these kinds of miracles today. And as well, I think that uh, when somebody goes to the hospital and they're seeking a physician's assistance, you know, a lot of people think that only God can heal directly. God can also heal providentially and indirectly through medical doctors. And I've seen people heal like that. Can I tell you something else, Janet? I've also seen people heal directly without medical attention. In fact, uh, Chuck Swindoll lives about three miles south of me here in Texas. His Texas is kind of a, his um, church is kind of a big square building, and it's known as Chuck in the Box around town. <laughs> but uh, in any event, uh, that aside, the fact is is that he talked about an old old military buddy of his who called him and told him that he had tongue cancer, mm. and it was advanced. And he asked Chuck to pray, and he prayed, and what ended up happening was a total one hundred percent healing. And this is without, you know, medical treatment. And so I think that kind of stuff still happens today, too. But God is sovereign in making those kind of choices. Yes. So that raises an interesting question. How do we answer the question, well, God, why did you choose a healing for them, but not a healing for me? So we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Ron Rhodes when we return. Our conversation got started because the Barna Group released some new data that talks about what Americans think about supernatural healing. More of your thoughts and questions as well, 877-548-3675. Having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. I am willing. Be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. 
Wonderful. Okay, so those are the miracles in the Bible. And somehow, for some believers, by the way, we seem to readily accept those as being absolutely truthful. But when it comes to today, the same living God, the same indwelling of the same Holy Spirit, we're not quite sure whether or not God is still in the business of miraculous healings today. Dr. Ron Rhodes is with us, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry. And Ron, I think it would be good. Let me stop at this point and say, from a theological perspective, would you give me the working definition? definition of a miracle? Well, that's a great question, because there are a number of different New Testament words that actually are used for a miracle. For example, the Greek term terata uh, refers to an event that evokes wonder. And then the word dunamis, which is where we get the term dynamite, indicates power. Miracles Mm. involve power, divine power. Uh, It's often considered to be a benevolent good work, and that's why the Greek word erga is sometimes used to describe a miracle. And then finally, the term semion is a word that signifies a messenger and his message. It validates the messenger and his message. And so what we need to do is to put all of those four together to compile our definition. And so based on that, I would define a miracle this way. It is a unique and extraordinary event, awakening wonder, wrought by divine power, accomplishing a practical and benevolent work, and authenticating or signifying a messenger and his message as from God. Now that's as is used in the New Testament. There are also occasions where God is not necessarily authenticating something, but God nevertheless brought about some kind of a healing or a, you know, some some other event that took place. But generally speaking, the definition that I gave covers probably 95% of the miracles that are in the New Testament. And so that's a good handle to keep in mind when we're talking about miracles today. Because, Janet, you know, sometimes people say, oh, did you see that catch in the football game in the end zone? That was just a miracle. You know, or they might say, oh, you know, I went to the shopping center during Christmas and I found a parking place right next to the mall. It was a miracle. You know, those are popular usages of the term, but those are not miracles as I just defined them. And so we need to be careful in our thinking on this. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Okay, so I say that because I think sometimes we get cavalier, and I appreciate your taking the time to define it, where we go, oh, it's a miracle I got a parking spot at the mall. That doesn't (laughs) constitute the miraculous by any stretch of the imagination. But it seems to me that as I see how the Lord manifests himself when he's doing a healing— As you noted earlier, it isn't about drawing attention to himself. It is about revealing, it seems to me, the power of who he said he was. Because there are people in Scripture, as I read it, who likewise have been healed, but didn't bother to turn around and say, thank you, Jesus. So, yes, in some cases it transforms the individual, not just physically, but it's supposed to transform them spiritually as well. But this isn't about giving glory to to, uh, Jesus. It's about his revealing to a watching world, this is who I am. Right? Well, that's right. In fact, you know, back in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 11, some of the signs are specifically mentioned as being that the uh, the deaf will hear and the blind will see and the lame will walk, you know, all those kind of things. And so when Jesus showed up on the scene and he did those very miracles, the Jewish leaders really should have understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of those because they were specifically prophesied as being the signs that the, the Messiah was now present but they missed it. And you might remember when John the Baptist got thrown into prison, and and he asked uh, the the messenger, you know, are you the one 
who asked Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus' response to John the Baptist was, go tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk. You see, John the Baptist would have understood those as signs of the Messiah. And so, yes, in answer to your question, those signs, in, in the case of Jesus, signify that he is the promised divine Messiah. And then likewise, the prophets in the Old Testament, as well as the apostles in the New Testament, were validated by divine signs, and that was necessary because there were false prophets and false apostles in Bible times. They made claims, but they had no miracles. Yeah, wow, excellent. Whoa, every line's lit. Why am I surprised? I'm not surprised, actually. I'm so glad Dr. Ron Rhodes comes and visits on a regular basis. So let me take a break, and how about you start asking the good doctor your questions? Dr. Ron Rhodes, again, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry, and we'll take your calls right after this. Yes, it's the miracle to me. Yeah, to me. Friends, this is Janet Parshall, and I want to take a moment to remind you that today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines aren't open. But I sure do appreciate your spending the hour with us, and thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of the program. There's a sense of anxiety in our country, and I know you feel it too. As a partial partner, you can help reach the world with the truth and peace found only in Christ. And as a partial partner, you'll receive exclusive behind-the-scenes information and benefits directly from me, keeping you up to date on what's going on in our world. So call 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. I will come and heal him. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour.
And so we're talking about miracles. Barna Group released some data that basically said about 66% of Americans today believe in supernatural healing. The group, however, that is the most skeptical happens to be millennials. And there's a big challenge for the church today, by the way. So do we believe that God can heal us physically today, as we read in his word? By the way, if you look at those statistics again, the generations who strongly disagree, millennials, the most disagree, 26%, Gen Xers, 21%. 1%, boomers 14%, elders 13%. If you follow that, that's fascinating to me because chronologically it goes right up the scale from the youngest to the oldest with those who disagree the most to those who disagree the less. If you look at denominations, by the way, 87% of evangelicals strongly agree. 61% of practicing Christians agree. 21% of uh, Protestant believe. And uh, no faith at all, about 7% agree that God can heal. <laughs> Don't ask me. I-, I can't figure that one out at all. All right, 877-548-3675, 877-548-3675. Rachel's got an interesting question in Michigan. Rachel, welcome, and your question for Dr. Ron Rhodes, please. Hi, thanks for having me on. Um, <laughs> I have severely hurt my back and neck a number of years ago, and as a result of that, I suffer from chronic pain every day. And it's really hard. I'm only 30 years old. Um, hundreds of people have been praying for me all across the world. And I believe that God does perform miracles, but it hasn't happened in my life yet, which makes me doubt that it will happen. My question is, is it necessary for me to believe that God will heal me in order for a miracle to happen in my life? You know, that's a great question. And I'm sensitive mm-hmm. to your situation because, uh, number one, I think there's a lot of people just like you who have had either a back injury or some other kind of injury. And by the way, yours truly suffered a very severe back injury where I was bedridden for over three months, and I had to go into therapy. And in God's sense of humor, he put me with an atheist therapist. And uh, we made great headway, (laughs) you know, during that Mm. time. But let me just say this. Um, I think that you should continue to seek the best medical attention and continue to pray for that miracle. Now, I continue to occasionally have my back go out, but the thing that I really struggle with these days is something that I inherited from my mom, which is migraine headaches. And Mm -hmm. I get those two or three times a month, and they normally last about five days each. And so between between 10 and 15 days a month, I'm in pretty bad pain, but it used to be almost every day. So by seeking doctor's help, I'm, I'm actually a whole lot better, but it's still got a lot of room for improvement. But I'm still trusting God in the midst of it. And in my case, God has just really used this experience to cause me to be dependent. Now, I'm not saying he does that with everyone else who has a a back injury or migraines. But in my case, I find myself very dependent on God, like when I go out to speak places and stuff like that, and I don't feel like it. Uh, Nevertheless, I depend on God, and he always pulls me through. I think that in other cases, sometimes God uses difficulties like this to knock the rough edges off our character. I think sometimes God uses circumstances to keep us humble. But there is a policy that's always helped me no matter what, no matter what I encounter. And that is this. When bad things happen to you that you cannot understand, that is the most important time to anchor yourself on the things that you do understand. And what you do understand is that God loves you. He walks with you through every single trial. He doesn't make mistakes. Uh, He promises you not only eternal life, 
but he does promise you ultimate healing. That's not going to come until our resurrection body or our body upgrades, as I like to call it. But, you know, it's not that far away when you think about it. That said, keep on seeking the best experts out there. Jesus himself said that it is the sick who need a doctor. And God may providentially work through those doctors to bring about a healing to your back. And so never give up. Keep your faith strong in in God in the midst of this trial. Rachel, thank you. So appreciate both your transparency and your being with us as well. 877-548-3675. Jeff in Atlanta, thanks so much for being here. And your question for Dr. Rhodes. Yes, uh, the, the the statistics that you were listing earlier about the percentages of people believing, I'm a boomer, so uh, that being said, what, why, why do you contribute uh, that to being less? Uh, is it a, a faith uh uh, we, do we not have the faith that we uh, maybe should or what have you? Because I'm going through something very rare and, and been on chemo since last year, and uh, it's not even cancer-related, and I had zero medical history before this. You know, it's, it's hard to say. One of the things that the Barna uh, study did not do was give us specific reasons as to why millennials and Gen Xers and boomers and elders felt the way that they did. Now, my natural inclination when I saw the statistics on high schoolers and uh, college people is possibly the, the, uh, the intrusion of the philosophy of naturalism, which is the philosophy that says that nature explains everything. So my natural thinking is, well, you know, the more that people get explained or, or get exposed to naturalism, uh, the less that they're going to believe in miracles. And you would think that that would explain everything, but I don't think it explains all of all of Barna's statistics. So, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, I would like to see more data on all of this. Me One too. thing is certain. We have witnessed a continual rejection of the Word of God. Yes. And when God's Word is rejected, that means that people don't know about God. And as my good friend uh, Norman Geisler likes to put out or point out uh, with his uh, uh, pithy dialect, if there is a God who can act— then there can be acts of God. Now, if you don't know the Bible, then you don't know about that God. And so it mm-hmm. seems like to me that one of the things that can greatly enhance people's understanding of miracles, and indeed faith in miracles, is exposure to God's Word. Because doesn't faith come by hearing God's Word? You know, it's interesting because Barna's information says that if you just take a full composite of adults, 68% of all adults have personally prayed for someone to be healed supernaturally by God. 32%, that's one out of three, haven't done that at all. So whether you have a profession of faith or not, there's something in the human heart that says, this is beyond my control, I need help, I want God to heal me, which raises the sticky wicket here. So let's just put it out on the table and expose it to the sunlight, Ron. What happens when God chooses to heal someone and he chooses not to heal another person? Or as it's often been said, the complete healing is when we're finally standing in his presence. And if you look at it that way, that's a great way to look at it. But how, because his ways are not our ways, because he's not required in any way, shape, or form to turn in a report to us as to why he allowed a healing here, but he didn't allow one here. How do we, as mere mortals, grapple with a divine God, a holy God, who makes those kinds of decisions and isn't required to tell us his decision-making plan? Well, that's a great question. Uh, He's not obligated to tell us his plan, and we know from other verses of Scripture 
that God's ways are not our ways, and he has purposes in allowing everything that he allows. I can tell you that, um, you know, that uh, faith is kind of like a muscle, and the more that it's conditioned, the more that it grows, and for that reason, God does often expose us to circumstances and allows us to suffer those circumstances for a time in order to yield maximum conditioning of our faith muscles. Uh, sometimes God will say no to your request. Now, the Apostle Paul is a good example here. Uh, you know, uh, Paul asked God to remove his thorn in the flesh, and God told him, basically, I have a purpose for allowing you to remain in your condition. I want you to remain humble because of the great things I've done in your life. So God had a purpose mm-hmm. not to remove that infliction of pain from him. Um, I know of a very famous pastor. He's one of the most famous pastors on planet Earth, and I won't mention his name because I didn't ask his permission to talk about this. <laughs> but the fact is, he's got a problem with his adrenal glands, and if he gets too excited on the stage, he can pass out. And so he has to be very, very dependent upon God when he preaches. So, you know, God has sovereign purposes, and I can tell you that God never makes a mistake, and we won't necessarily understand his reasons for doing the things he does. What a great answer, Ron. Thank you for that. By the way, you can learn more about Dr. Ron Rhodes, who visits with us regularly, and every time he comes, we are the better for it. We learn so much from Dr. Ron Rhodes. He is president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry. And if you'll go to our website, In the Market, with JanetParshall.org, you can learn more about Ron, and you can learn more about the topic we're discussing today. So check it out, In the Market, with JanetParshall.org. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. And immediately, the man was made well, (gasps) took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Wow, what a great story that is. Uh, Dr. Ron Rhodes is with us, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry as well as a very prolific author, by the way. And I asked Ron if we couldn't discuss this research that was put out by the Barner Group that addresses the question, do Americans still believe that God heals supernaturally today? Fascinating conversation, both in and outside the church. 877-548-3675. Roberta, you're in Baltimore, Maryland. Thanks for stopping by. And your question, please. Hello? Hi, Roberta, you're on the air. Thank you. I'm here. I... Pray directly to the Father the way Jesus prayed, for the Father's love to flow in. And a lot of times I can feel that 
power and that love going out through me to someone else who told me they hurt their foot and I just held their foot and they said it was healed. And when that happens, it's proof to me that God is who he says he is and that he can do these things. He did them through Jesus and he can do them through us when we have that love in us too, the way Jesus prayed. And that's what I wanted to share. And the question is, do you find that true also? Well, that's a great question. Uh, Having been involved in ministry for many years now, I can tell you that I've witnessed certain people be healed. And I've also witnessed certain people actually go to their graves without ever having been healed. And I don't think that in any way they were outside of God's will or this was because of sin or because, you know, there was a demon doing something. You know, there's a lot of talk today in certain segments of our society that if you retain sickness, that shows that you're out of touch with God or maybe you're in touch with the devil or something. I don't think that's true at all. And so the point that I'm making is that I'm very thankful when a miracle does happen. For example, a providential miracle where someone goes to the doctor and I'm praying and praying and praying and God ends up doing a a real work and bringing that person back to complete health. Or other kinds of miracles like ones I've mentioned earlier today. But when someone goes through a, a tough life and that miracle never does come, I'm also very careful to affirm God's love and God's plan for them. Now, in terms of God working through you for other people, we do know that God is the God of all comfort. And in 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says that God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves comforted by God. And the reason I bring that up is that sometimes God allows me to go through a trial. And then when I see somebody in my church that has that same trial, I can go to them and say, hey, you know what, I've been through that, and let me tell you what I learned. You see, so I think that that's one of the reasons why God may allow us times of difficulty or times of suffering. You know, God wants to see the body of Christ minister to each other. But let's be careful not to judge other Christians who do not receive that healing. I know that in my case, Janet, I'm a lot better than I was with the migraines, but I still have them. And I think God has a purpose in allowing that. I wish they would go away, but I trust God and his wisdom for that. And I know one thing is for certain. One day I'm going to get a body upgrade, and there's not going to be any more pain. Absolutely. You know, let's linger here for a minute and take a look at the Apostle Paul. We don't know what his thorn in the side was, his thorn in the flesh, but three times. And I don't think that means three separate times. I think it means for an extended, ongoing, elongated period of time. Whatever it was, whatever Paul wanted removed out of his life, and there had to be a healing aspect to that, God chose not to do that. Now that can You cannot use God's economy of saying either yes or no as a metric of the faith of an individual, can you? Because certainly well, Paul a, would have met all the criteria. Oh, that's an incredible point, because, I mean, none of us comes close to Paul in terms of our spirituality or our faith in God. I mean, Paul was like, uh, you know, he's at the very top of the ladder in that respect, even though he would have considered himself in humility to be, you know, the, the prince among sinners. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that whatever happened to Paul, it was in the flesh. It was a thorn in the flesh. It's the Greek term ensarche. 
And that carries the idea of some kind of a bodily illness. Something in his flesh, his body was extremely painful. Mm. Some people speculate it might have been a, an, a, a problem with one of his eyes, but we don't know that for certain. But God allowed him to keep it. God had a purpose, an ongoing purpose, in allowing Paul for the rest of his life to retain that point of suffering in his life. And I would not say that that's true in every Christian's life who has suffering. That's why I always recommend that Christians do go to the doctor and pray, pray, pray. In fact, in uh, Matthew 7, it talks about ask and it will be given. That's the present tense in the Greek. Keep on asking is what it communicates. Keep on asking and it will be given. So I think that in some cases God may heal, but at the same time, like we learned from Paul, God may have a purpose, a bigger purpose that you don't understand for allowing you to go through that. And if I might just offer one piece of advice, don't let miracles come between you and God. He may or may not choose to miraculously intervene. He is the object of our faith, not the miracles. We must learn to believe in miracles, but to trust in Jesus as the object of our faith. Wow. What a great, solid, biblical note to end this conversation on. Ron, I thank you so much. Always, always, always a delight. Please learn more about Dr. Ron Rhodes and the great work that he does. And you can check it out at InTheMarketWithJanetParshall.org. Thanks so much for joining us, friends. We'll see you next time right here on In the Market with Janet Parshall.